0: Well, good morning, everybody. You really can't cut that story off anywhere. You just got to have the whole thing. But apparently, it was too long for the, the screen. It was like, time out. A <laughs> couple things. One, uh, let's just, I don't know if we gave a big enough appreciation round of applause for Tyler and Amari to be here serving our kids. So maybe we could yeah. They're a lot of fun, and uh, we're really, I mean, blessed to have them here. And in two weeks, there is a candidate and his wife coming to uh, explore this possibility of being a youth pastor here. And um, so we'll look forward to meeting them. You'll see them on Sunday. I think, yeah, it's two weeks from today or next week. Yeah, two weekends away. So uh, they're coming. It's Andrew and Audrey. So um, you will meet them soon. We'll see how that goes. Just be praying. Uh, If you missed the worship night last Friday night, it was awesome. So whenever that happens again, I recommend you come and start, end your week or start your Sabbath or start your weekend with that. It was, it was really good. So um, just a great time to connect with the Lord and, and worship for a few minutes uh, in song. Uh, I'm going to go in two weeks also just, no, yeah, two, yeah, sorry. Three weeks, three weeks. I'm going to go over to the Marshall Fire area. A 1,000 people lost their homes, 1,000 foundations and so uh, Samaritan's Purse is working over there, one of the only Christian organizations allowed to be in the place, and uh, we can partner with them and go in and s- help people sift through what remains of their house. And so if you'd like to go, um, I'll be there on the 10th and the 11th, and we'll just all meet over there, a couple of people, have you already let me know that you're going to come. So whoever comes, it'll be great, we'll see you there. And one other little announcement, um, we're in the book of Acts, we're looking, we're going to get more into what Paul's story is, is, is the the narrative changes a little bit from the beginning of the church in Jerusalem and Peter, and it switches over to Paul's journeys. Uh, in Next summer in May, Claire and I are going go to go uh, uh, on a tour of the journeys of Paul, and you're invited to that. One of the cool parts about it is that the transportation, once you get to Greece, through Aegean Sea, is on a sailing, uh, I don't know, is it ship? It's, it's, it sleeps like 100 people, I think. So a few of you here already signed up to do that, but um, just want to let you guys know that that got called off in 2020. I don't know why. And uh, <laughs> finally coming back around, it's a year out, and we'll have information on the website about that, uh, soon, like, this week. So um, anyway, a couple things coming up for you to know about. All right, so we're in our series on Acts. We're just moving through this amazing story, and thank you, Catherine, for reading that. It was great, and I actually am glad the words went away because then I could just sort of imagine what that looked like instead of trying to focus on if you were, like, on the right, in the right version. Um, So it's about 15 years into the start of Christianity, okay? So after Jesus has ascended, it's about, so this is about 45-ish, okay, and just, I think one of the things that helps set the stage is it says Herod. And so I naturally think, well, Herod, like, you know, at Jesus' birth, Herod. No, not at all. There are a bunch of Herods. There are Herods all over the place over there. Well, this Herod's grandfather was Herod the Great, okay? Herod the Great is the one that the Jews hated, the one that um, was the king over this whole area of Judea and and north and south at that time um, under the Romans. And, uh, he, uh, he was not a great guy. He put, I, th- I think, and I-, I didn't go back and double-check this, but you guys can um, check it later a bit. He killed all of his own sons because he was afraid they were going to ascend to his throne. He, w- he just went nuts. So this kid, Herod, his dad was killed by his grandfather when he was, let's see, like, well, he was, he was th- maybe th- 17. Yeah, so this guy was born 10 years before Jesus' birth, right? And then I think in seven—sorry, just, I'm just going back and trying to read my notes in my head. He's a little kid, and his grandfather puts his dad to death, and his mom, and he flee to Rome, where he's raised around the uh, scions that will soon become the emperors of Rome, okay? So his childhood buddy is, is Claudius, okay? and Caligula was in there, okay? Now, that's, you know, when you grow up and you're like, I knew, you know, I knew, like, John Mayer when I was in elementary school. That's one thing. But <laughs> knowing, like, Caligula when you're in elementary school, that's, like, really not good. Um, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't help elevate your, uh, your perspective of your school. Um, so, this guy has started to um, uh, assimilate uh, power and he wants to be sure that the Jewish people. He's basically ruling again over the same kingdom uh, under the Romans that his grandfather did. And to do that, he decides I'm going to. In order to get the Jews on his side, I'm going to kill some of those pesky uh, Christians. In particular, I'm going to start with James. So this is a big deal. The, James, the follower of Jesus, the brother of John, is put to death and he's he's killed with a sword, which means uh, he was, his head was cut off. And then there's this amazing story of Peter being arrested, the same fate coming to him, but he escapes in this, you know, fantastic, miraculous way. And then the funny story of Rhoda, you know, like leaving him at the gate and all that. Um, so what we see when we look at stories like this in the scripture, we, we have to ask ourselves when we look at it, what does this teach us about our God? That's just, I think, the first question in Bible study. What am I learning about God? And here, I think, is at least one answer from this narrative. Uh, We learn that the story of the church, the story of our lives, if you're a believer, within the church, that story is God's story to tell. God's story to tell. Not my story to tell the way I want it to, the way things should look in my eyes, Instead, it is God's story to tell. So if there's anything that we do with this story, I think at least we recognize that God is telling a story of redemption. And for some reason, he has involved human beings uh, in in an amazing way in the process of doing that. Um, The story of the church is his story. Our story is his story. Uh, I suffer from often believing that the story is about me. Uh, You may be in that space too my desires uh, my, as I've told you, you know, I'm pretty I, I want my comfort or my pleasures I want the things that I think are going to make me happy Those are the, that's the central narrative often in my life but I need to understand that instead the story is his story and not my story and once we understand that other things start to fall into place um, so if you're thinking about this personally How is it that you understand how you fit into the story that God is telling? So I think you can ask yourself in your quiet time, ask him, Lord, how is it that I fit into the story that you are telling? Or am I just trying to tell my own story? All right, three points. One, God is definitely at work. God is at work, and he's telling an incredibly good story. The second is this. Christian success looks different than um, we might think it would. Christian success looks different. And then we have the privilege of persistent prayer. So in our story, in in our story, it's being told by him that we're within. He is at work. Success looks different than we think it might. And persistent prayer is a privilege we have to be involved. Persistent prayer is a privilege. So God is at work. Uh, basic principle behind the story, I think, God is at work. And I think most of us would agree, at least in our best moments, even when things are hard, we can say, God is at work. God was at work. God is doing something. And then the question becomes for me, can I trust him with what he is doing? Can I trust him to tell the story, even if it doesn't go the way I think it should? My future, my things right now, how I want it to be, can I trust him to do that? But we all would say, I think, most of us, he is in charge. He is at work. Uh, it's easy to focus on the dramatic parts of this story. So Herod, you know, he kills James. He, he brings Peter in under arrest. It's this dramatic thing. And then and this, is, uh, this is in 12, 6, and 7. Um, Herod's about to bring him out. On that very night, the night before he's going to be put to death, Peter sleeping between two soldiers, bound with chains, sentries at the door, guarding the prison, and behold, an angel stood next to him and a light shone in the cell, he struck Peter on the side and woke him and said, "Get up quickly," And the chick fell off his hand. At the last possible moment, the noose literally is, is tightening around Peter's neck, and suddenly this angel appears. and it says, literally, he, he flips on the lights or, uh, when the light switch, but the lights come on, you know, angel little and he kicks Peter in the side. This is how my dad used to wake me up from my middle school days. Uh, Or at least he wanted to kick me out. I don't think he ever did that. But, you know, he's asleep on the night before he knows he's going to be put to death, and he's chained to two guys, probably two smelly Roman dudes, right? And he's asleep, probably on uh, stone. And they didn't have like a, a health and wellness program for prisoners in those days, so he wasn't tired from activity, okay? But he's asleep. In the midst of that, y'all, I have this big metal watch here. I have to take it off at night because it gets cold, and if it touches me, it wakes me up. (laughs) Um, Peace in the face of suffering, peace in the face of things not going the, the traditional success narrative way for Christians was what drew people who didn't know Jesus to him. You see what I'm saying? The joy, even in suffering, peace in suffering, peace when things did not go the way Christians thought they were going to go, was one of the greatest witnesses and the causes of the proliferation of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. And, you know, going on with the story, Peter is, is like probably sneaking through town. He, it says it, think, he thinks he's having a dream, but he, he wakes up, and, you anyway, know, he realizes he's awake. He's sneaking through town, you know, because there's only, like, you know, Roman guards probably in the town at that late night. And he gets to the place where the church is, one of the parts of the church is meeting, okay? And it's late, late at night, and they're praying. And when they come out, after the misunderstanding with Rhoda, he has to tell them to be quiet with, it It says, literally with his hands. He's like, stop, 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 stop. Shh. I can't be found out. He doesn't want to be recaptured. He wants his part of the story to continue. But there's a larger story going on here than this sort of entertaining prison break. It's the story of what God is doing overall. It's not a traditional success story because we focus on that kind of fun part of the release of Peter because it's only like one line where it says that James, the brother of John, who's followed Jesus the whole time and has been a part of the leadership of the church, just got his head cut off. You can, you can be sure they were praying for his release and it didn't happen. There's a, a passage in the Old Testament and many others, and we sang several songs just along these lines today. You guys know this from Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you rod and your staff, they comfort me. Rosie read us a passage about the hope of the renewal of the Lord every day.
1: There is a larger
0: story going on that God has been telling for a really long time in church. If we are believers, we are within that story. And it may not look the way we want it to look. So, um, there's a whole bunch of things coming together here. There's my and your, yours and mine. Our desire for how things should look for my comfort, for the success, for the health of my family, for uh, whatever the things are that we want, where we want to be, how life's going to look for us. Coming together with how it is that we're engaging with the church. How are we a part of God's story in our school down at Western, up here in, in Milt school, high school, elementary school, How are, in our different places of work. How are we a part of his story? Those personal things, and Rosie mentioned it, God is concerned about the minutia of our lives. He tells us that in the scripture. He cares about us. But there is this overlap. And the overlap, that, that it, com- we, it gets um, out of whack somehow with us. But we need to turn it where we understand that the story is the Lord's story. And when that's happening with us, the other I'm not saying everything's going to be fine. I'm telling you, it probably won't be. But though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For God is with me. His rod and his staff comfort me. He is at work. God is at work in an overarching story. Now, Christian success. Let's talk about that for a minute. Christian success looks different than success in uh, pretty much any other uh, cultural context. A lot of times, you know, I, I feel like it probably sounds like I pick on the post-Christian, postmodern, uh, Western world that we live in. I'll say things about what the post-Christians believe and, that's, and I'm part of that as well. But there is a, um, a larger story that has always been true about humans, and that is that we associate success with power and wealth and the avoidance of pain. And it has always been that way. That's how success often is described in the Bible, and it's telling the narrative of, this, of the Hebrew people throughout the whole history of the, um, of, of the Israelites. Even to us today, we believe that power and wealth, and the avoidance of pain, is success. Even in cultures that elevate humble people, even when we elevate people who are humble, we say, that person is the most humble person I know. You see, that's a bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> it's always the best. It's always better. But the reality is, in the Christian narrative Grief is a part of the story. I promise James' family did not understand when his head was cut off. They did not understand that. They prayed, and they didn't understand when Peter's wasn't. Right? Why did, that, why did this bad thing happen here but not here? They felt betrayed by God. I promise you they did. They're, we're not different. They felt betrayed by God. And so we ask questions, you know, why do good people die early? Why do people who are not Christians who are good people, why why are they going to go to hell? That's hard stuff. Does there have to be a hell? Jesus, does there have to be a hell? See, I would do it different. Christians would just dominate. We would slam dunk all the time. (laughs) Prayers would be answered with yeses. I would be like a child king, you know, Yes, yes, I want what I want. Give me some cookies. Give me this. This is how I pray, y'all. I'm just being honest with you. Give me what I want. I I don't understand that there's a whole other level of things going on, and the story is much bigger than myself. The cool thing about the Scripture, or one one of the cool things about the Scripture, is that it doesn't hide the unpleasant details. It doesn't protect us from that. Even when it's Christians making the mistakes, even when it's God's people making the mistakes, even when we are not going to understand why God is doing what he's doing. What's really unpleasant in this story, and we didn't read it already, is that uh, Herod, after Peter escapes, he goes and kills all those guards. Now, here here it is. Let me read it to you. This is 1218. When day came, this is the next day, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter, Naturally. After Herod had searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and he ordered that they should be put to death. Now, if you're a sensitive modern soul, you would say, Whoa, what? Why should they have to die so Peter could go free? You don't have to raise your hand if you thought that. I thought that. Um How could people die for Peter to escape? That doesn't seem like the loving story of the scripture, does it? No, it doesn't. It sounds brutal and cruel and awful. That's what it sounds like. That's not love. And and I'm so wise looking back at those times. But if you and I were there as a part of the early church, we would have loved it. You would have loved it. I would have loved it because they got what was coming to them, right? James died. Those same guards had Peter. They were going to kill him. They were going to cut his head off in front of everybody. And they got what was coming to them, right? It doesn't matter where we are on the the timeline of the Christian church. We're going to make mistakes about how we see things because we're thinking about our story and not his story. Um, last week I was talking to a friend here after church and uh, his wife and they were saying that um, their son was asking the question, you know, how can bad things happen to good people? That's keeping him away from following Jesus. Like, he can't get over that. And uh, one of the things that came up was they they said, um, it's, it's, uh, It's the wrong question to ask. It's not a bad question to ask, but it's not the right question to ask. And we never discussed the right question, but the right question is, why would God enter in at all? It's not why are people suffering. That's important. We need to wrestle with that. That's the truth. That's the hard truth. But the bigger question is, why does God enter in at all? Why does he care about the minutia, like Rosie prayed, of my life? Why did he send his son to suffer for us? Why would he enter in at all? Is really the question. Do you remember in, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, and the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, you know Aslan is going to go to his death, and uh, Susan and Lucy uh, walk with him. he allows them to walk with him, and they're petting him and, and walking, have their hands on him, and he gets to the stone table, and it's just this, terrible thing. He says, you have to go off. I have to go through with this. And they cried all night. It's just, I, for some reason, um, that picture, that different sort of illustration of Christ going to his death for us, somehow just, it feels very, um, it, it, it gets closer, it gets closer to my heart in some way. And they were wondering why this had to happen, right? All night as they watched these uh, monsters basically kill Aslan, they're wondering why this has to happen. But in a sin-immersed world, friends, love means hard things happen. And for God's story to be told, hard things happen that we may not understand. But God is at work in success does not always look like we want it to, but it does not mean he is not telling the story. So what do we do in the meantime while we're trying to figure it out? Well, I think we see a little bit of that with this early church, and that is persistent prayer, persistently going to God in prayer. So or, I wrote, or how to live in God's story. The first step would be to, I think, engage in persistent prayer. So this church in the middle of the night is awake and praying. Which you might think that they would. We would probably do that. If somebody came and grabbed, you know, Eric or or Miss Renee and was gonna had him in prison and was gonna kill him, we would probably meet and pray, wouldn't we? We would be motivated to pray. You know they did that um, for James. Did go the way they wanted. Um, but they were awake and praying. And it seems like they didn't think their prayer would be answered. In uh, verse 15, it says, they said to to Rhoda, you are out of your mind. And she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, "No, no, it's like an angel or something. What did they come up with that for? They were trying to find other ways that they could explain that God didn't answer their prayer. The early church, who'd seen all this amazing stuff and was walking with the apostles and and Paul didn't think their prayer was going to get answered, but they prayed. You remember uh, what Jesus says about prayer? Um, this is in Luke 11. He obviously says a lot of things about prayer, but about persistence. Luke eleven five. 5. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. Don't bother me. The door is shut. And my children are with me in bed. I can't go up and give you anything. I tell you, Jesus says, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his rude persistence, in other words, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be open. And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Jesus says, Persist. Even if you could come at an inconvenient time to our God, even if you were able to annoy him, even if you weren't a friend, even if it doesn't always turn out well, persist. Um, when I was thinking about this, it reminded me of a little video clip that I'd seen, and I, I just got to show it to you. Uh, but it's a total coincidence that Rosie is doing the announcements and prayer, and that this is her niece, that this video is of. But her niece, right? It's your niece. They're, uh, they're in England, and she is on, she's a little girl, and she's on her daddy's shoulders. And Prince William is in this, like, group, and she's wanting to give him something that she wants him to give to the Duchess Catherine, okay? So if you miss any of the words, that's what's happening. But I want you to notice um, her persistence. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> <I'm
0: excuse me. laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> me.
1: He's just talking to someone Poppy I'm
0: Hey, Prince William. Yes, William. William! yes, sorry, I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, is this for Charlotte or for Catherine? Shall I give it to Catherine?
1: Prince, it's for it's Princess,
0: Princess Catherine, Catherine isn't Thank it? Thank you very much. I'm <laughs> <pen> special. <stashle. laughs> <laughs> I'll pass that on. Did you make this yourself? Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Uh, very kind. <laughs> <fine. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> Um. excuse me. <laughs> so funny. I think he said, is this for, he can read, is it for Charlotte or Catherine? You know, and so she says, this is for Catherine. Um, pretty cute. She wants him to do something for her. <clears throat> What's cool about this, uh, at the end of Jesus' teaching life, and he has several teachings similar to this one. He says, um, ask, seek, and knock. And you guys probably know this, but all those are ver- verbs that mean continually do this. Keep on doing this. Don't start doing it. Keep on doing this. Persistence is the theme of this whole thing. Persist. Ask and seek and knock. See, we don't even have the right to bring things to God. Why is he interacting with us at all? S- somehow, his glory... In, in his plan and, and uh, unfolding story that will lead to his glory, we are involved in that. And so we have the right to bring things before him. Persist. And don't forget Jesus' own persistent prayer in Matthew 26. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, less not as I will, but as you will. In a second time, verse 42, again, for the second time, he went and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus submitted himself to the larger story. So church, we're called to pray and persistently pray, even when we don't believe, even when we don't think it's going to come out the way we think it's going to come out or we'd like it to come out. He wants to hear from us. It's hard to imagine, but somehow our story does matter. So God's at work. This is all His story. Persistent prayer is a privilege that we have within it. So I'll just wrap up with this quick thought, and let me—I'm actually going to ask Rosie to come uh, pray and close us, if you would, Rosie. Um, but uh, if you're not a believer, then you're like Peter in the prison with chains on, asleep. Hard things are coming. If you are a believer, then you have experienced the chains being released from you by no effort of your own. Only by His. Only by belief. That's the only place we enter in. The only place we have entered in. Escape is beyond our power. It's His So we've been given life now in the kingdom of God in the form that we see it right now. He's entered in and he's covered our sin. Um, We're more sinful than we could ever imagine, but more loved than we could ever have hoped. And his glory somehow involves our redemption. And that is the story he's telling of his beloved creation. That's us.
1: Jesus, thank you that you are writing a story. That all this, that we sometimes grow so terribly weary of, is going somewhere. And whether we have not even dipped our toes yet into the story that you're writing, or whether we've lived in its flow and hopped out, or whether we're in it right now, regardless, may we be brave enough to look up and see our author, to look into our author's eyes and say yes to the story that you are writing. Whether it's parts of our lives that are very big and challenging and overwhelming, or whether it is the smaller areas of just consistently saying yes to your story of redemption. I pray you give us boldness and courage to do so. Because really, it's the only story to be a part of. And though with our tiny human minds, we can't even begin to comprehend its breadth and its depth. You do. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us, wherever we're at in relation to you, that we would be able to trust you to write the story and not to trust passively, but to trust persistently. That we would come before you in prayer, seeking you for what is your story right here today? How is it unfolding before me? And how can I link arms with you to walk into that? Jesus. We look for you coming again to take us home. But we don't want to miss what you're doing here now. We choose you, Lord. My friends, go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.